I love this prayer. Almighty God, who has given us this good land for our heritage, we humbly beseech thee that we may always prove ourselves a people mindful of thy favor and glad to do thy will. Bless our land with honorable ministry, sound and pure manners. Save us from violence, discord, and confusion, from pride and arrogance, and from every evil way. Defend our liberties and fashion into one united people, the multitude brought hither out of many kindreds and tongues. He went on to pray, endow with thy spirit of wisdom those whom in thy name we entrust the authority of government, that there may be justice and peace at home, and that through obedience to thy law we may show forth thy praise among the nations of the earth. In time of prosperity, fill our hearts with thankfulness. In the day of trouble, suffer not our trust in thee to fail. All of which we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And would you say, Amen. Amen. Thank God. We need that prayer more than ever before today. What a wonderful, wonderful prayer that that is. Most of you know that our youth are in Atlanta, or right out of Atlanta. And if you've seen the pictures, they are in a sea of youth. Young people are gathering and uh, we look for them to be fired up and ready to go. They'll be back at noon, and we pray for their safe travel as they come back. And they have a big, large bus full of people that's enjoying uh, the ministry there uh, in Georgia. We thank you for helping them to go, and we look forward to the fruit of them going. If Angela Fisher was here, she would say, take the little piece out in your bulletin and look at that if you will this is very very exciting fly on over to the fun at VBS join us for VBS July the 23rd through the 27th 6 30 to 9 o'clock and you can register online and uh, rescued by Jesus if you're shipwrecked If you know someone that is shipwrecked, then we want you to get them here. And let's have a great VBS. Last year, the last few years, it has been just wonderful. And we hope that all of us will be involved in it in some way. And we can by, by first of all, praying. And I hope you'll spend time in prayer for Vacation Bible School. Our city, our community needs Vacation Bible School. They need to hear the word of God. There is nothing like God's word. Can you say amen? Amen. Let me read, if you will, beginning with the 13th chapter, verses 4 through 7. By the way, if you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. We want everyone to have one. We started a few months ago on a series, Cultivating Relationships cultivating relationships and we started on the relationship with God that's where it all starts folks doesn't matter about our relationship with the family our relationship with the church or even our relationship with the world it's important that we start 
with our relationship with God. For, for without that relationship, all the other relationships are subpar. And so we started just a couple of Sundays ago on the relationship with the family. We began with in the beginning marriage and last Sunday successful marriage. And we're talking about the marriage relationship, the family relationship. Read with me, if you will, the apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice, he goes on to say, in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Allow me, if you will, to, to read the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson. We'll begin not just with the fourth verse, but with the third verse saying, If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up, never cares more for others uh, than for self. Love cares more, I'm sorry, love cares for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, and certainly isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Father, we thank you for this wonderful word. But most of us, we thank you for the attributes that you display in 1 Corinthians. As you you speak of this great agape love, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible uses several words for love, Greek words. One of the words that he uses is agape. Agape, love which is divine, or rather, love is a divine affection. That word agape, in fact, if you read 1 Corinthians about love, it is talking about that word in Greek, agape love, a godly love. Then you have phileo, which is more of a friendship type love. And when you're reading the New Testament, he speaks of that phileo love. Eros, which is a romantic or a sensual lust. So when you're reading in the word about the word love, uh, it is important. And we bless the scripture. We bless concerning this wonderful word. And we pray this morning as we speak it that we'll understand how important love is, especially when it comes to the marriage relationship. There's some quotes from children 
And there are answers that they gave to various questions about matrimony. When asked how best to make marriage work, Allen, which was ten, is 10 years old, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like sports, and she should keep the chips and dips coming. Sounds a little chauvinistic there. When asked the same questions, how do you make marriage work, 10-year-old Ricky advised, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. When asked why people fall in love in the first place, nine-year-old May said, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with the way you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. When asked what falling in love is like, nine-year-old Bart commented, it's like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. A seven-year-old little boy named Garrett Warren, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five years old, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> Another seven-year-old little boy was asked what role good looks play when it comes to finding a mate. He said, this is a seven-year-old. It isn't always just how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome as anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet. <laughs> Gavin, which was eight, gave this insight into why married couples hold, often hold hands. He said they want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. <laughs> Love. A lot of people... Think a lot of things when you say the word love. Read with me the introduction. The word says love is about how someone makes them, or rather the world says love is about how someone makes them feel or how they feel about someone else. But God says love is about how you behave and treat others. I want that to sink in. God's love says it's about how you behave and how that you treat others. The church needs to know about what real love is, and for three reasons, and we give those three reasons. And first, in order to build unity among the saints. Second of all, to keep friendships, to keep marriages, and certainly to keep families together. Number three, why it's so important, it's show an accurate example of Christ in the world. Such True words. The Bible offers guidance to understand what true love really is. Someone says we get in trouble, and I took this from the word from you today, or for you, for you today, and I thought it was so important. Our troubles come because we base our choices on reliable authorities. If you have trouble in your home, trouble in your marriage, trouble in your relationship between your co-worker, or when trouble co troubles come, we base our choices on unreliable choices. Look at it. First of all, culture. Culture says everybody's doing it. We may base it on tradition. We've always done it this way. Or reason. 
And when you think of the decisions that people make, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in relationship, reason, it seems logical. And number four, the last, we base it on our culture's emotional emotions. It just feels right. And these are some things that will lead us astray, and we certainly get into trouble when we base our relationships upon these four things. Look at love. First of all, love is a decision. Someone said love is a decision made by your will, which then goes over into deeds. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says it this way, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. The New King James Version goes on to say, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So love is a decision. It's something that, that we decide to do. Love not only is a decision, but love is a fruit. The Bible says that love, Galatians talks about, is a wonderful fruit. Now, if love is a fruit, that fruit must be nourished, and it certainly must be cultivated. A lot of couples get married and they fall in love and, and they're infatuated with each other. They have this great, wonderful feeling and they get married and they think, well, we'll be happy, happily ever, ever after. But they find out something happens. Something, something very wrong takes place because they don't work at, because they don't cultivate the love that they did have. In order to cultivate that love, it takes time. How often do we take out time with our mate? Not only does that love uh, at and cultivating take time, it takes a lot of effort. I didn't get one amen, but you know it's true, don't it? It takes a lot of work to have a relationship with a person that's different than you are. Going a different direction than you're going. Not only does it take time, not only does it take a lot of work, not only, but it takes communication. One of the things that is very important that we learn to communicate, mean what we say and say what we mean and communicate in love and understand how we communicate is also vitally important. So love is a verb when you're talking about the fruit. It's a verb. It's, it's an action. It's something we do. If we go around all the time saying, I love you, I love you, but we don't show that love, then it's fruitless. Not only is love a decision and love is a fruit, but I wanted to mention seven biblical loves. What is love? Love is an action. Number one, true love distinguishes between a person and a body. True love. You know, once this is established, you never have to worry about growing old. Because, I, you know, it's wonderful when 
the, the, the young lady is beautiful and the young man is handsome. And we all think that our husbands and our wives are beautiful and handsome and so be it and it should be that way. But love, true love, distinguishes between a body, a person. It, you love them for who they are. I'm reminded of Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and when Jonathan and David, verses 1 through 4, and when he had finished speaking to Saul, the Saul, Saul of Jonathan. Now, most of us know the story of King Saul and his son Jonathan, and then the young David, the shepherd boy, that came at times to live with them after he had slain Goliath. And notice what it says. But when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And you're talking about love. No sexual overtones whatsoever. Saul took him, the Bible says, that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. There it is again. He's talking, this is, this is godly love. This is a, a real genuine love. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David. With his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. He knew even then that David was going to become the king. And he was in line to become the next king after King Saul. And yet Jonathan loved David just like he loved his own soul. If a relationship is based on the physical, it is based on a thin Foundation, And that's why so many marriages fall on the rocks. is because love is based on a physical thing and not certainly a godly thing and even a spiritual thing. True love distinguishes between a person and a body. Number two, true love always generates respect. You never get in the habit of putting your mate down. I remember years ago, I don't hear it as much today as I did years ago, the man would call, the husband would call his wife, the old lady. Gals, does your husband call you old lady? Amen. Do we do that? Then we need not do that. We need to respect that person, not to put them down. True love always Builds up. First Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge, the Bible says, puffs up, but love edifies or builds up. Love says, what can I do to bless him? Love says, what can I do to build her up, not to put her down? And if we're not careful in a state of anger, we say things really that we don't mean and certainly things that we don't need to say and put our loved one, to put our, our wife, our husband down. True love distinguishes between a person and a body. True love always generates respect. Let me say something about respect because I talk about lordship in our relationship. Respect and lordship is earned. Guys, you want your 
wife to respect you, it's got to be earned. You want your wife to pay honor to you and, uh, and, and bless you to be the head of the home. And I'll have a lot to say about that because a lot of times people get that all mixed up. Then you must earn it. You can't go on around, go around saying things you shouldn't say all the time, fussing and complaining, telling things that are not true, and expect that mate, that wife, to respect you. It just will not happen. You and I need to be encouragers. We need to encourage our wives. And wives, we certainly do need to encourage our husbands. True love distinguishes between a person and a body. True love always generates respect. And then number three, true love is self-giving. You know, a real love is willing not only to serve God, but to serve others. The disciples were saying, and talking one day, and they were saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus demonstrated who was the greatest and demonstrated love by taking a towel, wrapping it around him, and washing the disciples' feet. If you love your wife, you're going to serve her. If you love your wife, you're going to edify her. You're going to encourage her true love is self-giving if you enter into a relationship a marriage relationship asking what can she give me or what can he give me or what can they provide for me that marriage will not last we must enter into a relationship what can I give to her what can I certainly can I give to him Jesus demonstrated his love for us as we read Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? I believe if we love someone, we're going to demonstrate that. I believe if we love someone, we're going to express that love. Love is an action. Jesus demonstrated his love to us, even while we were yet sinners. You see, here's the thing about God's love, an agape love. It is unconditional. No matter what he did, no matter what she did, I'm going to love him. You say, how can I do that? Pray and ask God. Believe God. Believe God to instill in you a love that goes beyond just what are they doing for me or what am I getting out of him or what am I getting out of her. True love is self-giving. Number four, true love can grow and increase. If we have left our first love, we can certainly return back to that love. And this is talking about God, but it also can mean in relationships. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Nevertheless, God says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What kind of love do you have between your husband and wife after being married five years, ten years, fifty years? What kind of relationship do you have? You still have that same kind of love or is it died? Have we cultivated it? Have we worked at it? Have we taken time, 
effort, work, and all of these things to make sure that love is still alive. Ephesians chapter 4, look at it. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in what? Love. That's mature love. That's when you've worked on your relationship and you've asked God to fuse you and bind you and come together with someone else and God Almighty and He's the only one that can do that is to bring forth the love in that relationship that should be there. It is very important. And that love, notice, notice this, that love can grow and increase. I thought when I married Carol, I loved her as much as I ever would love her. But I'm here to tell you, my love for her has grown and increased. It is important that we have God's agape love. Number five, true love embraces responsibility. Responsibility is connected with love. That's your bills, someone might say. That's your kids. You tend to them. No, If you love her, if you love him, that's your responsibility. And I believe it's very important for us to understand that when you love someone, it truly embraces responsibility. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, be responsible. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love your wife, be responsible. If you're not, if you're supposed to be home at five o'clock and you're not going to make it till six or seven, be responsible and call her. Let her know it. We're responsible to that person. We're responsible to our wife. We're responsible certainly to our Husbands, It's our responsibility. First John says it this way. And whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, if we have God's love, we're going to reach out and touch those that are poor. We're going to reach out and touch those in need. That's why I don't understand people that belong to a church. And don't want to be there but half the time, a third of the time, or two-thirds of the time. If you love someone, you want to be with them. If you love the church, you want to be active in that church. If you love the church, you want to pray for the church. Love, it embraces responsibility. And it is important that we love not only our uh, God, but that we love our mates, and that we certainly love the church. True love is commitment. If you have a relationship with no commitment, it is no longer love. Someone says, I just want to live with this person to see if I love them or not. That's not commitment. Commitment is standing before the preacher and say, I'll stand in public and commit to her the rest of my life. True love says, I'll commit to him. No matter, honey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna sink together or we're gonna rise together. 
till death do us part. You know, you don't understand that much today, but that's important. True love is commitment. We'll succeed together or we'll go under together. I'm committed. And that's like the church. Are you committed to the church? And I'm preaching to the choir. People will say, I love you, but they're not committed in that relationship. I like the idea that you're committed. And I know that's not a word you hear often today. I'm going to commit to you the rest of my life. Someone says, I don't want to be in bondage. That's not bondage. That's freedom. That's liberty. When I committed to Jesus Christ, that liberated me. And we commit to him. I'm going to commit to him the rest of my life. Yes. And he liberates you. That's, that's freedom. I'm going to commit to her the rest of my life. I love this. Not only true love is commitment, but true love is forgiving. You know what unforgiveness does? It turns into bitterness. Unforgiveness will destroy you. There is so much in the Bible about forgiving. You know, they, they took Jesus and they whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spat upon him. They plucked his beard. They mutilated him. He was, as Isaiah said, was bruised beyond even recognition. They mistreated him. They made him carry his own cross, weakened and weak as he was. They made him carry that cross. They took him to Golgotha and they laid that cross on the ground. And they spiked him. They drove nails in his hands and in his feet. There was a spear that went into his side. And hanging between heaven and earth. Jesus looked down at the people. And he said father forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forgiving. I'm amazed at, at, at Christians that are not willing to forgive. But Brother Don, you don't know how I was treated. I was abused when I was eight years old. I was mistreated as a child. My wife, my husband has mistreated me, said things about me, put me down time and time again, day after day after day. You don't know how I was treated. I know how Jesus was treated. I'm not saying sometimes it's, it's easy to forgive. But it's important that we learn to forgive. And most of you, if not all of you, have heard me say how you know you've forgiven someone. First of all, you don't bring it up again. If he or she's done something and they come back later and say, forgive me. And you say, okay, I forgive. And then three weeks later, you have another argument and you bring up what they did before. You didn't forgive them. Put it out of the blood. Number one, you don't bring it up again. And number two, on the way to work after they've mistreated you, you don't get angry when you think about it. 
Oh, you think about it. Someone said, if you forgive, you forget. No, God gave us the ability to remember. And we don't forget, but we forgive. The great Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive others. Jesus said in St. Luke, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In other words, if I'm not willing to forgive my husband, if I'm not willing to forgive my wife, I'm not too sure God's going to forgive me when I come to him for forgiveness. It's predicated on, am I willing to forgive others? Am I willing to forgive even my enemies and lay it and put it at the cross? Some of you have been mistreated. Some of you have been mistreated by a mate. Do you still hold a grudge? Is there unforgiveness there? Has it turned into bitterness and poisoning everything that you do? Then God says, forgive. May I be willing to forgive and let God handle it. If I don't forgive him or forgive her, then they control me. I'm not going to let them do that. And I feel this morning that we need to look at these principles and look at what really and truly love is. Love is distinguishing between a person and a body. Love is all, always generates respect for that husband and always respect for that wife. It is self-given. I'm going into this relationship. What can I do for you? Get up in the morning, honey. What can I do for you? My wife gets up in the morning. She comes and I have her, I have her chair already ready. And she sits down and I cover her up. And she pushes a button and she lays back. Then I've got her a cup of coffee, already, already brewed, already ready to go. And I fix it, fix, it, fix it just like she likes it. And I take her and sit it where she can get a hold of it. You know why I do that? Because I love her. I want to do for her. Now I'm telling you what I do for her. You could magnify that a hundred times and she does that for me. She does things for me. What can I give? Love will grow and can grow if you allow it to grow and increase. Well, I lost my love. So I've fallen out of love. I don't have the love for him. Well, if you lost it, you can find it. The Bible says in Revelation, you have Left your first love. He didn't say you've lost your first love. If you left it, you know where you left it at. Go back and get it. Ask God to renew that relationship. Put a spark and a fire in that marriage relationship. And enjoy and want to go home rather than hating to go home looking for an argument. It's important that we love. Love is commitment. One of the greatest verses... I've ever read and ever heard. And the greatest, one of the greatest relationships that I've ever heard is between the Moabitess, Ruth, and the Jewish lady, Naomi, her mother-in-law. 
How do you get along with your mother-in-law? It was her mother-in-law. Naomi had two boys. They married two women. One of them was Ruth. The two boys died and the two women stayed with her. One finally left. But Naomi was going back home from Moab. And she said, Ruth, you stay here. I don't have another son to give you. It would be better for you to stay with your people than to come with me. But Ruth looked at, looked at her in, in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth said to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you. That word entreat means urge me not to leave you or to turn back from following you after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. What a commitment. Can we say that for our wife, our husband? I want to stay with you. I'm leaving. No, don't leave. Don't leave. I remember years ago in the convention, we now call it leadership uh, conference. There was a senator from Kentucky. He pastored the oldest Pentecostal holiness church in Kentucky. The oldest Pentecostal holiness church in Kentucky. And he preached a message I'll never forget. It's been 30 years ago. He preached on the prodigal son. He preached that message so powerfully. You sit there with your mouth open and just drooling. Powerful sermon. And he said his teenage son got to giving him trouble. And got angry at his mom and dad. And he went and impacted his suitcase. And he said, I'm leaving. And his dad said, wait a minute. And he went in the bedroom. And came out with a suitcase. It was packed. His son said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going with you. Where you go, I'm going. Where you lodge? I lodge. Honey, I'm leaving. Well, if you leave, I'm going. I know there are times when separation and divorce, I, I know there are times when there's nothing that will heal, and I understand that, and God understands it. But I think we need to do everything possible to be like Ruth. Say, entreat me. Urge me not to leave you. Where you go, I'm going. I forgive. Honey, forgive me. If each could forgive each other, put their arms around each other, renew their relationship, renew that agape, God-given love, and say, I love you today. 
There's nothing like having that kind of healing. All of us probably during our married life could walk away. We get tired. Maybe things have happened. But I pray this morning that this congregation, that you and I this morning will come to God and say, Father, if I have an unforgiving spirit, help me today. I want to put aside that unforgiveness. You give me that agape love, that divine love, that I can love my wife, that I can love my husband. And I'll say till death do us part. Where you die, Ruth said, I will die. God help me that I will never leave you. Are you here today? Embedded somewhere deep inside because of what was done to you and you didn't deserve it by any stretch of the imagination. You didn't deserve it. But you can take it today and wrap it all in God's love. You see, when Jesus said, forgive them, they know not what to do. He scratched love on that cross. And if you could really see it, you would see the word on that cross. L-O-V-E. He said, how would you see it? It's written in blood. L-O-V-E. For God so loved the world. Even the ones that mistreated him. Even coming to his own and they denied he even was the Messiah. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever wouldn't you like to leave these doors today and go out in the highways and the hedges and tell them God loves you. You haven't given a thought to God today but God loves you. You haven't even thought about it. Maybe you've even used his name in vain. Maybe you spent the night in debauchery, in alcohol, in drugs, in immorality, in immoral actions. Maybe you did, but I want you to understand that God loves you. All you need to do is turn to Him. For He etched on that cross with His own dying blood. L O V. I want to challenge you this morning. If you're here today, you harbor in your heart something that a brother or sister did. Maybe it's way, way long time ago. Maybe an ex. Maybe you had an ex that really mistreated you. Maybe a mom or a dad or an uncle or someone else. And all the time it's been harbored right in here. I want you to take it. Take it out. Wrap it, not in anything else but love, and lay it on the altar. God, I help you. Father, we love you this day. We thank you for marriage. And we thank you, Lord, for the cement that holds it together. 
Thank you, dear God, for love. Lord, I thank you for every family that's represented in this church this morning. Every home. And I pray, God, for every person here today that's under the sound of my voice that's struggling with unforgiveness. God, help them to be able through your strength, through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that they will have the strength to say, I forgive, and really and truly mean it from their heart. I lay that on the altar. I lay that abuse on the altar. I lay all those wrong actions and words Toward me, I lay them on the altar today. And Lord, I forgive. I choose to forgive. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Just a moment, we're going to come to the altar. we got plenty of time. Wouldn't you like to go through this holiday with everything under the blood? Maybe it's not forgiven, forgiveness that you need to be forgiven of or unforgiveness. Maybe there's been premeditated sin. Maybe there's been things just simply by mistake. You didn't intend for this to happen, but it's something that happened and you're just really sorry of it. Lay it on the altar today. You see how I got to confess to somebody? Well, I believe in restitutions if you need to make them. But most of all, we need to confess to Jesus. Lord, I've done so and so. I committed this act. I didn't mean to do it. Lord, I, I was on the computer and things came up and I just went from one thing to the other and I, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. You think he'll forgive you? Oh, yes. He'll forgive you. I got angry this week and I said something to my wife, my husband, a brother or sister or co-worker or someone, and I, I shouldn't have done it. I've had many times to go back to people and say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I've had to apologize to waitresses and waiters. Because I thought the service was certainly not becoming and not good. And I was sharp to them. In fact, just recently one came up to me. When they came back to me, I said, Honey, I want you to know I'm sorry for the way I said what I said. I, I, I shouldn't have done it that way. Oh, it's okay. No. No. I'm sorry. If you need to make restitutions, do that. Get everything under the blood. Get the past under the blood. He'll help you. As we sing this song, stand and sing it with them with you.